0: Please welcome Steve L. from Redondo Beach. Steve Lamb, alcoholic. Hi, Steve. Good to be here. It's good to be sober. I want to thank Carrie for inviting me to share. It's always an honor and a privilege to share at Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I have to confess, she called me yesterday and I had no idea i was talking tonight Uh, apparently i had agreed with pedge that i was going to do this and i didn't write it down on my calendar so i'm grateful that carrie reminded me Uh, for the people that are new and i think there were at least three people that were new there may be a few others that just didn't want to identify and if that's the case you're welcome but particularly for the people that are new i want to emphasize that I'm not an authority in Alcoholics Anonymous. I wasn't appointed or anointed. I'm just the person here tonight sharing my experience. And you're here to have your experience, uh, not mine, not your sponsors, but yours. Uh, and I got that through the steps and I, and I hope you do as well. My sobriety date is July 27th, 1996. So I've been consecutively sober for 24 years and change and and unlike our birthday boy, Tom and, and Eric, this is, this is my first. I came in and I got sober and I stayed sober, but like Tom, it wasn't by design, it wasn't by plan. And, and thank God that a prerequisite for sobriety is not, that one has to deserve it, because uh, and I'm not trying to judge any of you, but uh, even the Ashland Angels, I suspect you don't deserve it. I mean, none of us deserve it. Uh, that's why we call it grace. Uh, and we don't deserve it. We just accept it and try to pass it on. That's the whole process really kind of in a nutshell. And I, I got here on a, on a court card. I used to drive drunk all the time, uh, nothing remarkable. Uh, on one particular occasion, the California Highway Patrol <laughs> disagreed with me and I got sentenced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. The judge sent six AA meetings in six months, which I thought was excessive. And I didn't really know much about Alcoholics Anonymous other than I had heard a vicious rumor that you're not supposed to drink in Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, I don't, I I definitely don't wanna go because I don't wanna not drink. Uh, I like drinking. And and I finally, after uh, almost a little over five months, I I finally went to my first meeting and and I've been consecutively sober since. And, And really the first thing that I noticed was that you were telling my story. Now, the facts and the circumstances were different but it was my story you talked about an inability to control and enjoy your drinking and that relates to drinking and it relates to a diverging products like eric referred to uh, i know it's a shock to some of you when you come in here and we say yeah you know the whole drinking thing the not drinking thing is a moose but it's not just not drinking we don't do the other stuff i know it's green and it comes from god but no it's you know we, <laughs> we don't do that either you know, that's, that's not sober. And you talked about an inability to control and enjoy your drinking. And I got that, because I I have that issue. Uh, I'm the kind of alcoholic where my wife sends me out to get milk. It's really not a complicated task. There's, I don't know, three or four subparts to it. You got to leave the house. You got to go to the store. You got to buy the milk and you got to come home. And I'm pretty good at the first two or three of those subparts part, not so much. What what happens is I, you know, I head to the store and I run into one of you and you say to me, would you like to have a beer? Well, what's the harm in having a beer? I mean, it's like a basic food group, right? You know what? I mean, it's just a beer, right? So we go have a beer, but I'm an alcoholic and I have this allergic reaction to alcohol. So instead of qu- I used to think of it as time travel. I now realize it's blacking out. It's pretty common. I, uh, I'm selfish and I'm self- not entirely inconsiderate. So I realize I got to go get the milk. So I go to the store and I buy the milk. And I come home and I show my wife the milk. I'm like, hey, baby, I got the milk. She's not impressed. In fact, she's rather annoyed. She's pissed off at me, and I don't understand what the problem is because I didn't realize there was a time requirement on the task. It seems like I just left. She's upset. Everybody seems to be upset about my drinking. You're talking to me about it all the time, uh, but you know I, I don't really like people that much, and you're a price that I'm willing to pay so that I can drink. So I, you know, I'm drinking. I, I like to drink, and I come into AA and I start hearing. Through you I identify, and I realize I gotta stop drinking. This is not gonna work. Uh, I gotta stop drinking. So I stopped drinking. Now, stopping drinking is not the problem. It's staying stopped. That's 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 the issue. And, and what happens is in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not drinking, I'm sober, I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm going to meetings. This is what it's all about. And there are people in the meetings that are saying things like, you know just don't drink and go to meetings 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 meeting makers make it. now there are other people that are that are going to the meetings that are saying things like uh, you know you got to get a sponsor like eric talked about you got to work the steps you know but i'm I'm, like i'm not okay i don't want to overreact here the last thing i want to do is get over sober right And, and and there's other people in the meeting that are saying things to me like you know don't leave before the miracle. So I'm like, all right, I'm just waiting for the miracle. Now I have a lot of activity, but I have no action, like it talks about in the book, and the miracle is not happening for me. You know, people are, are talking about being restored to sanity, and I feel like I'm going nuts, stark raving sober. My when I finally got a sponsor, my my sponsor used to say I was like a dog on linoleum. There's a whole lot of motion, but there's no forward motion at all. It's just a lot of activity and flailing around on the floor, and and I. Uh, I had about 100 days Stark Raven sober and I went on a business trip. I'm a trial lawyer by trade and I went back to do some depositions back east. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was supposed to be there all week and I got done around midweek and I go back to the hotel room and in the hotel room I have an honor bar. Now I'm a newcomer. I don't have any honor but they've given me this little mini fridge. I've got the key to it and it does not have everything I want and need in it but it's a really good start. I mean two by two by two there's a there's bourbon, there's gin, there's vodka, there was no tequila, which is annoying, but there's beers, domestics, imports, you know, there's a pretty good collection in there, and I want to drink, and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Flight with Denzel Washington, but you know, those little honor bars, they talk to you, it's talking to me, I'm talking to it, we're having a conversation, I'm opening and shutting the honor bar, Uh, I inventory, just to be ready, I arrange the domestic, the imports. I, I'm getting nervous because I'm afraid that I'm gonna drink. So I decide to distract myself and I turn on the television and I'm flipping back and forth between religious television and porno, religious television and porno. And I am getting confused as to who's doing what on what station. I realize that's an outside issue, so I'm not gonna go into it, but I'm pretty I'm pretty confused, right? And for for whatever reason. I don't drink. You can call it the dumb luck of the alcoholic. Norm Alp used to call it seconds and inches. I believe it's the grace of God, but I would never have used that term back then. And I, I love the big book and I love the 12 and 12. But when I was new, my sponsor had me listen to a series of talks by a guy named Chuck Chamberlain. He passed away in the 80s. He said he did a retreat down in Palomesa and they recorded it. And before he passed away in the 80s, one of his sponsees had it transcribed and it, it's in a book, it's called A New Pair of Glasses. It's not conference approved literature, uh, you know, but it's, it's one alcoholic story. And in this book, A New Pair of Glasses that's it, by Chuck Chamberlain, or the talks are by Chuck Chamberlain, there's a drawing. There's only one drawing in the whole book. It's a really simple drawing. What Chuck does is he draws a circle. And he puts all the people, plants, and animals inside the circle of life. And then Chuck puts life, good, God, whatever your concept of a higher power is inside the circle of life. And then outside the circle, sick man. And that's Chuck, and that's me. And because you're listening on a Sunday night, I'm gonna assume that that's you, separate and apart. The 12 and 12 refers to it as anxious apartness. It's this feeling of separation that every alcoholic I've ever worked with has. It is the prime delusion, the grand delusion of every alcoholic. It is absolutely untrue. What Chuck does is he draws a thin line that he identifies as ego or conscious separation from God. So what keeps us out of the circle of life is this separation. In the 11th step, we're striving for conscious contact. Uh, But I'm new. I've got conscious separation. But the reality is, I'm in the circle of life. We're all in the circle of life. And the better reality is there's really not an edge to the circle, but I haven't worked the steps yet. So I haven't come to that realization. And I certainly haven't gotten to the point where I can demonstrate that, but I don't drink. And I fly home and I get up the next morning. And when I get up the next morning, I've got a, a plan. I've got a newcomer plan uh, because I've had time to think on the plane. And I've developed a newcomer plan. And if you're new, I'm sure you have a newcomer plan. All newcomers have plans. And we think they're brilliant. We all think they're brilliant. I will tell you that my experience with newcomer plans is they're shrouded in an umbrella of stupidity that is overwhelmingly obvious to all members of Alcoholics Anonymous other than the developer of the newcomer plan. So if you these newcomer plans, it's always a good idea to call somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous and just tell them. And after they stop laughing, uh, you'll probably see how ridiculous your newcomer plan is. But I I hadn't talked to anybody and I'm gonna execute this plan. And what I'm gonna do is I was in the army for 13 and a half years. And I'd, I'd gone through airborne school and ranger school and went through special forces selection and assessment. I served as a green beret for a number of years. Eventually they sent me off to law school. And you know, when I got out of the army, I was a major, I had a top secret, uh, SCI clearance, which is sensitive compartmented information. And I'd acquired a number of things. I'd had some weapons and some demo and I had 13 passports that were my photograph but from different countries that I'd used in the military. And when I got out in 1993, <laughs> I didn't turn this stuff back in and I didn't even think of it as stealing it at the time. I just thought they might come in handy one day. And today's the day, and I've since gotten rid of all this stuff, but I I need these passports because my newcomer plan is I'm gonna take my blue passport, the one that the government gives to everybody that's a citizen, it's got my name and my photograph on it. I'm gonna leave the country on my name. It's really important that you leave the country on your name. I'm gonna fly to British Columbia. When I get up to British Columbia, I'm gonna start flipping passports and identities. I'll head East for a week or two, maybe spend some time in Europe, Come back to british columbia steve lamb will cease to exist now i have a wife i've got a daughter but this is a career move so i don't really consult with them about this then i'm going to leave from british columbia and i'm going to head down to costa rica because i've got some former army associates of mine that are doing some rather interesting marketing and distribution down in costa rica and this is my newcomer plan this is my career move and i lay out all these passports and the 13 passports that I should have turned in in 1993 are all current. They have not expired. But my blue passport with my name and my picture on it has expired. So I'm just devastated because I am i can't execute this seemingly brilliant newcomer plan. Now, here's the pathetic thing about this newcomer plan. I got sober in 1996. So this is the fall of 1996. It's pre-9-11. I could have flown to Britain on my driver's license you didn't really need a passport back then but I don't have the cranial capacity my synapses are not connecting adequately enough for me to realize this and it's not like I'm particularly stupid and I'm relatively well educated although my sponsor at times questions this but I you know I graduated from college the army sent me to law school they sent me to get an LLM our Master of Laws right next to the University of Virginia I'm licensed to practice before the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, but that particular morning, I don't know if I could have found my butt from a hole in the ground. I mean, I was just out of it. And I didn't know what to do. I went to a meeting. And at that meeting, I made the mistake of telling a guy that I, it seemed like people had been talking about getting, maybe I should get a sponsor. He immediately grabbed me, took me outside. He introduced me to a guy named Michael. He says, Michael, Steve, Steve, Michael, sponsor, sponsee, go with God. And he walks away laughing. And I'm thinking, this isn't funny. It's not even slightly amusing. I don't even know this guy, but he's all excited. Michael's all excited. And I didn't know this, but the guy that gave me to Michael was a guy Jim and Jim sponsored Michael. And for a long time, I thought that Jim was trying to help me. And since doing this for a while, I realized that's really not really what was going on. What was going on was Michael was coming up on five years. He was going through a difficult patch Jim knew that he saw me as a newcomer. He took me out to Michael and said, "Here, play with this. This will keep you distracted for a while." Because sponsees are a divine distraction. They get us out of self and they get us into God without us even knowing it. You know, so uh, you know he tells me that I I need to get my big book and my twelve and twelve, and I, he wants me to read the very beginning of the big book. You know, through the very introductory stuff you know he wants me to read the, the preface and the forwards and through the doctor's opinion and make any notes if i agree or disagree if i've got questions go ahead and write in the book it's your book you know highlight it note it no problem and and then he wanted me to read the first chapter step one and the 12 and 12 show up at his house monday night at six thirty, and we would discuss it so i show up at monday night i got my books i've done my homework i'm ready and i sit down and he tells me a little bit about it a little bit about myself to include my stupid cover plan and and then he says okay open open your book start reading and I said no I I, I did the work I'm ready to discuss it he goes no, open it at the very beginning and start start reading I said no really honestly I, I really I read it I'm ready to go through it he goes no that's that's not how we're going to do it we're going to read the book together you're going to read maybe a sentence or two or a paragraph or two we're going to talk about it I'll read some then you'll read some we're going to go through the whole book this way and I remember thinking, oh, God, this is really, this is pathetic. It's kind of tragic. And and I'm figuring he's kind of stupid, probably can't read very well, but I'm 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 beaten into a state of reasonableness. I got nothing. So I open the book and I start reading. Now, I found out later, Eric, uh, my sponsor's got a master's degree in nuclear engineering. He was one of the prime architects at one of the largest computer gaming companies in the world. He's actually quite brilliant, but I thought he was an, it for a long time. And so what happens is we're reading this book. And when we get to a prayer, we say the prayer. And when we get to a step, we work the step. And it saved my life, and it transformed my life. Uh, despite my bad intentions, I I, I got to tell you, if you're new and you haven't gone through this process, you, you, you know, if you can get into the room somewhere, you'll see the banners that have the 12 steps or you open the big book on pages 59 and 60, there's the 12 steps. I've never seen a newcomer look at the 12 steps and go, Oh, God, thank God. Oh, Karen, can you walk me through these 12 golden steps of recovery so that I can find and develop A conscious contact with the God of my understanding so I can live and move and have my being in the world without drinking alcohol or doing any party favors. Will will you do that for me? Will you really transform me? No, we don't do that. We Usually we look at the steps and we're like, really? That's it? That's what you got for me? I mean, I don't see what those have to do with my rather complex set of social issues. And by the way, I'm looking at these things, four and five, You know, that's documenting stuff and then confession. That's like evidence, right? we don't don't do that. And if that's not bad enough, then you got eight and nine. But, you know, I mean, I know it's their money, but some of them, they don't even know about it. And how is me giving them their money gonna help me stay? So what does this have to do with me not drinking? This has nothing to do with not drinking. It's really ridiculous. It makes no sense. And if that's what you're thinking, you are absolutely correct. It is the most ridiculous, the stupidest thing I have ever seen in my life. And I can guarantee you that it will not make any sense to you until you do it. It makes no sense looking forward. It only makes sense looking backward after you've done it. And you want it to really make sense? Do what Eric has been doing. Sit down with a newcomer and try to explain to him and walk him or her through the book and explain what experience you've had and you're still having as your life is being transformed. Despite all your bad intentions. I mean, a lot of times people come in here and they'll say things like, you know, AA is for people that really want it. Somebody else will come in and say, it's for people that really need it. My experience is it's for people that do it. If you do the work, the work will do you. I had a really, really crappy attitude when I got here. And I love Alcoholics Anonymous because it works. It absolutely works. And and I got to tell you, that's the key here because if it didn't work, we wouldn't do it. know we're not we're not the type of people that keeps doing stuff that doesn't work. Most of us are very very suspicious of this process as we go through it Uh, and we take certain actions that we don't believe and it way we think. I mean the, the thing that's so interesting about Alcoholics Anonymous is The book tells us, even though we spend a lot of time on the allergic aspect of alcoholism, the book tells us on page 23, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind, but we don't think our way out of this. We take actions that we don't necessarily believe that changes the way we think and look at the world around us. It's this shift in perception that happens through taking action that doesn't make any sense until you go through the process. Now, particularly for the new people, I want to talk about some of the steps. Uh, you know, I remember when I got to the fourth step, my sponsor took me to page 65. And if you knew, that's where the three columns are in the book. By the way, that, you know, whatever way your sponsor has you do the steps, that's the way you should do it. You know, uh, this is a lifelong process. Uh, I think it's more important to do a, a fourth step badly than to not do it at all. And I'm not telling you that this is the only way to do the four-step or the better do the four-step. I'm just telling you that my sponsor realized that I'm a I'm Smith. I'm a lawyer, and so he wanted me just to follow it the way it's outlined in the book. And he pointed out that on those three columns, there's there's they're kind of bullet points. It's not like a life story. There's not a lot of writing involved. You know, you got the first column, the person, the institution, or the principal two or three words should suffice. column is the, again, two or three words should suffice. The third column is a condition or how it affects you. Is it self-esteem, pocketbook, security, ambition, personal relations or sex relations? Just get that down on paper. And then he said, there's really not a fourth column, but if you look on page 67, it talks about referring back to our list. We're gonna identify mistake, fault, and blame. These are what we call character defects, selfishness, self-centeredness, self-seeking, dishonesty, the 12 and 12 refers to what are sometimes referred to as the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, sloth. Then the book talks a lot about fear. And also on 66 and over on 67, it refers to what sometimes is referred to as the prayer to the sick man. You know, am I unwilling to see this person as a child? Am I unwilling to ask God for patience, tolerance to this person? Am I unwilling to forgive this person? And then he gave me the instructions on the uh, fear inventory and on the sexual content inventory, turned me loose and said, it should take me a couple weeks. And it took me about five weeks, maybe six weeks, two weeks to think about it, two or three weeks to actually do it. Um, you know, the books of my simple part is the written part, the instructions, they're really not that complicated. Uh, the not easy part is me and my ego, which tries to separate me from you. And from God. But I, I finally I showed up at my sponsor's house and I'm going to read in my fifth step. And if you're new, even though we share in a general way, I'm going to tell you specifically the first person on my inventory, just so simple as it can be. So, first person on the inventory, Come one, my father. Second column, the cause, two words, deserted me. Now, like the book says, Michael's preparing to talk. He asked me some questions. I explained to him that I'm four or five years old. I'm growing up in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the early 60s. My father's in the Air Force, and he leaves. He goes to Southeast Asia. Uh, he doesn't die there, but he does. He's a lot of years there. He does a few tours in the Air Force. He joins an outfit called Air America. He meets a Thai woman, Lienta, he marries her, apparently before he divorces my mom. I've got a half sister, Peck. I've never met Peck. Hardly spoken to my father in over three decades. I get sober when I'm 37. I'm writing this inventory when I'm 38. What does it affect? Everything: self-esteem, pocketbook, security, ambition, personal relations, sex relations. I mean, other than that, everything is going pretty good. But it's a it's a big one. My old grand sponsor was a guy named Scott Redmond. He would refer to this as a five bagger. What that means is my life is consumed with it. It's one of those cardinal, preeminent, seminal resentments that sometimes affects our behavior in so many other categories that I don't, I'm not aware of it at this point in time, but I am later. Now I got to look at my mistake, fault, and blame. And what I write down is anger. I was really angry as a little kid. I'm still pretty pissed off. Fear. I have a lot of fear. Uh, The fear looks like I really love my father, and in my mind, I gave him a certain amount of power, and he abused that, so I can never let that happen again. There has to be a wall of insulation between me and you, and you and me, because it's not safe. Now, this does not make for good relations with the wife or the kids or friends or family or coworkers or anybody, but it's all I got, Mm. And then uh, I'm unwilling to see my father as a child of God who could be spiritually sick. I'm unwilling to say the prayer of the sick man to him, I'm, for him, I, I'm unwilling to forgive him. And I, I read this to Michael and I'm getting ready to go on to the next person. Coincidentally, it's mom, but Michael stops me. And he says, look, I wanna make sure I understand this. I'm like, all right, he goes, you resent your father. I said, that's right, because he deserved the boy, you know, pretty much affects everything. You've got some residual anger, a lot of fear. And you don't want to forgive your father. I'm like, yeah, that's right, Michael. I've read, Oh, there's a. I know there's a night step. It's, it's not gonna happen. I'm never gonna make amends or forgive my father. We're just doing stuff right now, but we're gonna get to that eventually. And I do have one more question for you though. I'm like, all right, what is it? He says, well, if I understand you correctly, when you came to me, you had this newcomer plan. It involves some passports in Costa Rica. You've got a wife, you've got a daughter. Uh, You weren't gonna take them with you. Now you didn't say to me, I'm planning on deserting my wife and my daughter, but is there really a function between what you were planning on doing and then what your father actually did? well, that came out of left field. I, I, what happened was it felt like the air just came out of me. It's something that is referred to in some of our literature as ego deflation at depth. It's, it's actually a spiritual experience. It's interesting. A lot of times we, we talk about spiritual experiences like the white light type or the educational variety that happen over time. Uh, the latter is more common than the former, but there's, there's also another type and, and, uh, they're not a white light experience. They're more like a black light experience. If, if any of you have ever seen a, like a crime movie where they've got like CSI, crime scene, maybe there's been a murder, somebody's been murdered. What they do is they they go in the room and the tech takes a substance called luminol and sprays the room with luminol. And then what they do is they turn off the lights and they turn on a black light that will reflect the luminol so that you can see the blood pattern for the evidence of the crime throughout the room. And what I had was like a blacklight experience. I mean, what happened was I had been shown that I had become the one thing I hated the most in life. I'd become my father. I had had no idea, you know? I remember I put my head down and I muttered something like, I mean, well, I mean, Michael, if you look at it that way. And if you're new, that's one of the reasons why we admit in the fifth step, we admit to God, to ourselves, human being, the exact nature of our wrongs, because I, I, in and of myself, can't see these things. I need someone, in this case, my sponsor, to hold a mirror up to me to reflect me back to me because I can't see what I've become. Now, again, this is not a happy occasion. I get through the rest of the inventory. I go home, like it says on the bottom of 75, I get quiet, I review what I've done, I flip the page to 76, that's where six and seven are. Six is. Uh, there's a lot to six and seven, but, you know, the first time I did, it was rather rather surface-level swipe. And six is a lot about willingness, and seven is a lot about humility. I have very little of either, but I'm I'm moving on to do this eight-step list, okay? And, and Michael wants me to do the list of the people that I have to do and the proposed amends, because he doesn't trust me, apparently. So I, 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 I go to pull out this list, and I notice on page 76, it says... We made a list of those we'd harmed and need to make amends to. We made it when we took when we did step four. Well, hell, if I'd have known that, I'd have never put my father on the list. So I took his ass right off the list because I'm not, he's not going to be on the list, right? So I take him off the list. I got this list. I show up to Michael's house. He says, Let me see the list. I show him the list. He says, Your father's not on the list. I'm like, you're damn right he's not on the list. I told you he wasn't gonna be on the list. He says, well, do you think you're any better than your father? I'm like, no, I, I, I got that, Michael, but that's not particularly helpful. He says, well, look, you know, a lot of times at the end of the meeting, we say this thing called the Lord's Prayer. What do you think of that? I'm like, it's a perfect problem's prayer. He says, well, you know, there's a clause in there. It goes like this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What, what do you think that means? Look, I think it's a damn trick question. It's a spiritual truth. It's a maxim. I'm not stupid. I understand what it means. He goes, well, do you agree with it? I said, yeah, I see how that, I got it. Yeah, I agree. He goes, well, are you willing to do it? No, not in relation to my father. Absolutely not. He takes me to page 99 in the 12 and 12. What's referred to as the prayer of St. Francis or the 11 step prayer. It is through forgiving that we are forgiven. Yeah, I, I see how that works. I got it. Are you willing to do it? Absolutely not. He said, well, look, step six and step eight are a lot about willingness. Are you willing to pray for the willingness? Okay, you pray, I'll pray. In the meantime, start going out making amends. So I go out, I, I start making amends. I, I start paying back some of the money. I, I make amends to the wife. I'm back in the big bed. I don't quite have the crossover privileges that I think I deserve, but things are going better. I get into this active 10-step process. I'm trying to make amends properly. I'm reviewing my day like it says on the I'm the top of 86 and I'm doing this evening review. I'm doing it again in the morning. I'm praying, I'm meditating. I'm trying to get into contact with this thing that I don't understand. And uh, I'm trying to practice the principles in all my affairs. And step 12, uh, apparently I'm carrying the message. Guys are coming to me. They're asking me to sponsor them. I'm taking them through the book. They're getting sober. Uh, they're taking cakes. They're starting to sponsor other guys. This goes on for a few years, but I am not making a them- this goes on for a few years. And then uh, I'm having a conversation with Michael one one day. It was, I, not like I'm reading him inventory or anything that was really significant in my mind. It was kind of a throwaway conversation. I'm just going to explain to him that I won't be around next week for the Hermosa Beach, my home group, the Hermosa Beach Men's Stag. I, I have to go up to Anchorage, Alaska, because I have to do some depositions up there. I'm getting ready for a trial. and uh, There's an expert up there. I've got to depose him. He lights up like a Christmas tree. He gets all excited. He's oh man, that's great. You'll make amends to your father. And I had forgotten that I had told my sponsor that my father was living in Wasilla, Alaska, which is about 30 miles outside of Anchorage. Connecting two unrelated dots. And by the way, if you're new, a lot of times you're thinking you're, your your is not paying attention. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes they like take notes and crap. It's annoying as hell, right? And so he's he's All excited, I'm trying to wave him off. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm just, I'm going to go do depositions. This has nothing to do with making amends. He goes, No, you're praying. I'm praying, right? I said, Yeah. He says, Well, you know, you've been praying. I've been praying. God's talking. Can't you hear him? I'm like, No, I'm, I'm not getting a memo at all. He's like, Well, look, okay, here's the deal. What I want you to do, you pray and meditate every morning. Uh, What I want you to do is uh, get quiet and, you know, ask God for direction. Do it over the next week. All right, fine. So three, four, five days into it, what comes to me is I get something that I should do. I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I, I guess I become willing. So I go to Michael, I say, all right, I'm willing to do it. What do I do without skipping a beat? He goes, well, I don't know. I'm not going up there. Talk to God. i like, man, you are killing me. I used to call him the cosmic cupcake, the mystic muffin. It didn't matter what the problem was. The solution was always God. He would say, pray and meditate, ask for divine guidance. And while you're waiting for that guidance, and by the way, don't expect the heavens to light up but maybe some old-timer that says some at the meeting or a new, newcomer or just you have to pay attention, be present, wait for that guidance and while you're waiting for that guidance, continue to work with guys and talk to newcomers. And I thought, God, how shallow could you be? I have to tell you it's been a solution to all my problems. It's been a solution to all. So I call my father he says, i oh, will meet me I I don't know what I'll do, but I fly up to Anchorage and I go through the airport, go through the terminal. I see my father. He's older than I remembered. He's shorter than I remembered. He's kind of hesitating. He's walking towards me, and I, I go right up to him and I and I grabbed him and I did something. I really didn't like all the physical contact when I got the hand holding, the hugging, and all that stuff. And I miss it now that it's you know got the COVID stuff going on. But at the time, I didn't like it when I was new, and I, I just grabbed my father, and I hugged him. And he buried his head in my shoulder and he cried and I cried and forgiveness occurred. And all I had to do was show up and get out of the way. Now we had some subsequent conversations and, you know, I've been up there several times. He's been down and seen my wife and the kids and that relationship is restored. Is it a perfect father-son relationship? No, we never played ball together. We never did. We, I didn't see him for three plus decades, but the point is I don't have that, that, pit of bile in my stomach, you know, when I when I talk about my father, I, I don't, you know, I don't see red. I don't have that hatred anymore. It's gone. You know, things got better with a wife, and, and and what happened is, I realized that uh, this forgiveness thing is a big deal. I mean, we talk a lot about acceptance in and AA, and, and that's really great, but it only gets you about halfway there. Forgiveness is the only real solution for a big kind of Morgan Gate, a big resentment. If you, you know, if you, if you, you know, bother me at a meeting or some other minor thing, I, you know, I can forgive that. But big ones like with my father, I need divine intervention. I need divine intervention until that happens. Uh, it permeates my whole life and I can't see it. And, and what happened is I did the steps and you showed that to me. And you gave that to me and it took me a long time and I, but I hung in there and I finally listened to my sponsor and I finally did it. And it, it's interesting because, you know, when they read chapter five, when the girls at the Ashland angels read chapter five, part of it is that some of these we balked. And a lot of people talk about four and five, balking at four and five. That's not my experience. My experience is I balked at it. People balk at it. You know, they don't want to do it. Or they do a couple of men's and, they get some relief and they don't wanna react. I get it, I get it. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, the 11 step prayer says, Lord, make me a channel. Now the religious version of that is Lord, make me an instrument. Now I can wield an instrument. I can hit you over the head with an instrument. And for years I would have liked to have had an instrument like a, a stick that I could whack the sponsees I have upside the head to get their attention. I wouldn't wanna hurt them. I'd want it to be padded. But I just want to get their attention, but that's not what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. We don't tell an AA, we share. And we don't use an instrument. We clear a channel. And the way we clear the channel free through. And if we don't clear the channel, then whatever it is, he, she, or it, whatever you want to call this higher power, can't come through. Now, how do I know this works? I know this works because a little over four years ago, I got shot. I've been shot before. When I was in the Army, I got kind of clipped. It was a mere flesh wound. But this time when I got shot in 2016 in May, it was pretty significant. I was up in Badger, California, which is right outside of Sequoia National Park. It's a beautiful, rustic area. Lovely. Saturday morning, I'd had breakfast. I'm back in my cabin. I'm sitting on my bed, minding my own business, not bothering anybody. And the guy upstairs from me decided it would be a really good time to clear his Glock which is ordinarily not a problem. But what happened is when he pulled the slide back to eject around, he forgot to release the magazine. So when he released the slide again, he actually jacked around into the chamber. He pointed it to the floor that he was on, which was the ceiling above me and he discharged the weapon. The round went through the ceiling above me and it entered right above my heart, passed within millimeters of my heart and it buried itself in my sternum. Now I will tell you, this will get your attention. And we, we talk a lot about serenity and alcoholics anonymous, but I must confess the first word out of my mouth was a rather shortened version of Fire Truck. And I yelped it. And the guy from upstairs comes running downstairs and uh, he sees me, he says, And well, I said, You shot me. That's what happened. And he starts freaking out because I, I got this towel on my chest, it's I'm bleeding. You know, he's freaking out, he's very upset. And then a really peculiar thing happened. I started trying to calm him down. Now I must tell you, this happened right before my 20th AA birthday. And I don't know what your idea of a justified resentment is, but getting shot out to qualify. But because of Alcoholics Anonymous, because of the steps, because of finding a God of my understanding, because of being provided this beautiful thing called forgiveness, I didn't resent this guy. I'm trying to calm him down. And that's Alcoholics Anonymous. That's not my nature. But he's still pretty excited. He says, i have got to take you down to the hospital, which I agreed. So we go down to Vasilia, go to Kuya Medical Center down there and go in the emergency room. And I got this bloody towel on me. The nurse, you know, she asked me, can we help you? I'm thinking it's pretty obvious. But I said, yes, you can. She says, what, what, what do you need? I said, well, I've been shot. Now, I'll tell you. There's a lot of people in the emergency room, but when you tell them you've been shot, you go right to the head of the line. They come out with a gurney. They got a gurney. They wheel me in. They do this overhead x-ray. They hook me up to an EKG. They got this overhead x-ray and there's a cardiothoracic surgeon. And after about 20 minutes, he's like, this is, this is crazy. This bullet, it went within millimeters of your heart. It missed your heart. It missed all your major arteries. It's buried in your... It looks like it's immobilized. Uh, we're going to observe you for a couple of days, and we're probably going to release you. But I will tell you that when we did the EKG, we noticed you have this atrial flutter, which is a heart spasm, Your heart spasm, which is not surprising because a bullet just went, you know, within millimeters of it. He said, this is the type of thing you've got to see a cardiologist when you go home because you might need medication or treatment. And if you don't attend to this, you could have a stroke and die. So I get released. I'll go down. I live in Redondo Beach in uh, the local hospitals, Torrance Memorial Medical Center. I see my doctor, uh, my cardiologist, Dr. Carlson. He looks at it to an EKG. Confirms. He confirms you got an atrial flutter. But he goes, look, um, it's it's not that uncommon. And uh, there's a procedure we have called a, and uh, it works most of the time. What we're going to do is you, you've seen in movies how they take the paddles to shock a guy with that. That is barbaric. We would never do that to you. What we're going to do is we're going to tape these pads to your chest and they'll be hooked to electrodes. And then what we're going to do is we're going to hit you with a jolt of electricity that will stop your heart. We will wait five to seven seconds and then we'll hit you with another jolt of electricity that'll restart your heart and hopefully it will be in sync. And I'm like, you know, Doc, I am not that quick on the uptake, but that sounds like you're going to kill me. He's like, no, 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 we don't, we don't we definitely don't like to look at it this way. And uh, it's a control procedure. It's going to be in the hospital. I've done this hundreds of times. And by the way, before the procedure, there will be an anesthesiologist that will come in that will give you something that will make you comfortable. So I'm alcoholic. I go from you're going to kill me to I'm going to get comfortable. And it's not that I haven't been comfortable in the 20... or so years that I've been in AA, but I, you know, I have been that kind of comfortable in 20 years. And I'm figuring this is a free pass. My sponsor will be cool with this. I'm like, doc, sign me up. Let's do this thing. Okay, right. So a few weeks later, I'm in the hospital. I got the IV in me. I got the pads taped to my chest. Dr. Carlson's here. The anesthesiologist walks in. He's got a syringe comfortable. And because I'm an alcoholic, I'm watching him all the way across the room. He gets in front of me and leans over to make some small talk. And the next thing I know, Dr. Carlson's leaning over me. He's like a how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm good. He goes, well, how do you feel? I said, I feel fine, I'm ready, let's do the procedure. He's like, oh no, 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 we did the procedure, the procedure's over, we think it went okay. And I'm immediately arguing with a cardiologist. I'm like, no way doc, that ain't right. You told me, I, where's that anesthesiologist? You told me, you promised me I was gonna get comfortable. I didn't get comfortable, this is not right. Now, only an alcoholic argues with his doctor about general anesthesia. And that's because in the old days when they would give you general anesthesia, what they would do is they would give you the general anesthesia and they would tell you to count back from hundred and you would go hundred, 99, 98. And we love 99, 98. There's guys in Alcoholics Anonymous that get excited about dental surgery and all kinds of stuff because free pass, as long as we you know do what the doctor prescribes. So I'm, I was all excited about this. But the problem nowadays is they have really good dope. Or, you know, we would not call it good dope, but they say it's good dope because what they gave me was this stuff called propofil, which is what they gave Michael Jackson. They just gave me the correct dose. Now the problem with propofil is you're here and then you're here. There's no there, there's no 99. It's really disappointing. Uh, but that's, you know, in addition to the forgiveness part, uh, that, that's not the, the point of the story. One of the things that I wanted to tell, particularly for the, for the new ladies, the Ashland Angels, and there's some other recovery, I think Saddleback Recovery, some other folks, hopefully you'll get into the big book and you'll read, eventually you'll start reading the 12 and 12. And, and when you get to chapter 10 and the 12 and 12, where it talks about the different forms of inventory, it mentions that many AAs like to take an occasional annual or semi-annual retreat. We get away from the clamors of the world, uh, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, job. And we get together with a spiritual director or a member of Alcoholics Anonymous who's got significant time and experience. And they give us some spiritual exercises or we work through some steps or listen to talks. And, but the point is these AA retreats are safe, serene places. I got shot on an AA retreat, but it gets better. I was leading the, Before I got shot, I'd given a talk on unity, which I actually thought was compelling, but apparently that guy was not paying attention. I got shot in the morning and that evening I was scheduled to give a talk on acceptance and forgiveness. But here's the best part. The guy that shot me, I sponsor him. I sponsored him then, and I sponsor him now. And that's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, Eric, sponsor, uh, Bill C., likes to say that when we come into Alcoholics Anonymous, we, we take off the clown suit, which is true. We do. But we don't throw it away. We hang it up. We take it out and, and dust it off, and we wear it for every once in a while. And the reality is that we all do that. Before I got to AA and I've made a lot of mistakes since I've been in AA and because of the steps and because of forgiveness, uh, there's a way through that and kind a of way around that. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, if, if you're new, to, to, give you, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, I, I'll tell you the, 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 a quick story about the biggest resentment again, against, I had against my wife. And you're going to say that this is childish and juvenile, and it is that really didn't happen to you. So that's the thing about these resentments, you know, they're so personal. I mean, you, everyone else sees them and they go, that's stupid. Like to me, it's like a big deal. What happens is I got two or three years of sobriety and I'm like the guy in the book, you know, comes out, hey Ma, I ain't it grand, the wind stopped blowing. I'm thinking, you know, I'll be congratulating me and, and, and my wife does not appreciate all the hard work that I've put in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know this because Every night she takes the trash and recycling and she puts it on the stoop for me to put away. So yeah, I'm back in the big bed, but I'm clearly not restored to full husband status. I'm really the trash and recycling guy. So I'm writing him, and I'm pissed off about this, right? And I go to Michael, my sponsor, and I want to read him the inventory before I can even read him the inventory. He asked me a question. He says, well, okay. You know, a lot of times our perception of what's going on is not really what's going on. So had you discussed this with Lynn, no i haven't talked to her about it he said well why not i said well you know michael i mean god i've been at the time i've been married 12 or 13 years now i've been married uh, 36 years and I, you know and i'm like you know I, I know what my wife is thinking before she even thinks it and he says well you know we call that mind reading it's a relatively significant character defect but if you're not willing to accept that or address that you need to pray and meditate and ask god for guidance and direction because resentment's a number one offender. It'll kill you dead, brother. So you got to get around this. So I pray and I'm meditating. I'm asking for direction. And after a while, what comes to me is patience, tolerance, love, and understanding. It's all over the big book. All the old timers are talking about it, but it takes me a while. And so I pray for it. I ask for it and I get it. So now I'm a man of God. I'm taking out the trash recycling. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. And I'm telling all the guys that I sponsor what great work that I've done Resentment, not that I want to take credit for it. I really just want them to understand the value of the steps in their lives. The reality is, I have a problem with spiritual pride, but I don't see this. This goes on for six or seven years. And we get a dog, Zoe, Golden Retriever. Love this dog. I take her out for walks. She just passed away this year. But when I would take her out for walks in the morning, she would poop. I would put it in a bag. I would throw it in the trash. And on nights that I would go to a meeting, like tonight, if I was actually physically going to the meeting, you know, down in Laguna Niguel my wife would let the dog out she would poop my wife would put it in a bag but did she throw it away hell no she put it on the stoop with the trash recycling so I've worked through trash recycling but now I got dog crap Michael I got dog crap I know what this means so I go to Michael he's like have you talked to her about it no I haven't talked to her about it. he goes well meditate to get through this so I pray and meditate I ask for guidance and direction same thing patience tolerance love and understanding this goes on for another six or seven years Three or four years ago, I go out the front door instead of the side door. I do not get the trash, recycling, and poop. I go to work. I realize I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta make amends for this. I'm going Monday night. It's my home group. I go home. I'm having dinner with the wife and the girls, and I, I wait for the right time. And I, I say, hey, you know, Linda, you probably noticed I went out the front door instead of the side door this morning. I did not get the trash, recycling, and poop. I know that's my job. I'll, I'll, I'll do better next time. She's like, what? I'm like, baby, you know, the trash recycling and poop, it's my job. I've only been doing it for over a decade, and I didn't get it this morning. And, you know, I apologize. I'll, I'll do better next time. She's like, what are you talking about? So I've been taught to pause when agitated. So I slow down, and I tell her again real slow. And by the way, guys, they love it when you talk to them real slow. I get done explaining it to her for the third time, and she looks at me. She gives me the look like, you sure you haven't been drinking look? And she says, Steve. You know that it's dark out there. We've got uh, possums and raccoons out by the bins for the trash and recycling. And and we've even had coyotes that have come down from Palos Verdes that have taken some small dogs and cats. It's creepy. I don't like to go out there at night. I I put that on the stoop at night. I figure, you know, I'll get it in the morning or the girls will get it in the morning or you'll get it in the morning, but I don't leave it there for you. So like I said, I'm not that quick on the up, I've had this that I've worked through and bragged about for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. It has no basis in fact whatsoever. So because I'm so spiritual, I look at my wife, I go, love you, babe. I got to go because I can't talk to her about this. I got to go to my home group. I got I to gotta talk to my, my sponsor and, and Bill C because they'll, they'll, they'll know how to comfort me, right? Hell no. They think it's hilarious. They take me around to all the new guys. They want me to explain. Don't miss any details. Tell them what it's like to be 15 years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and act like a jackass. And I got to tell you, that's been my experience. And I remember my sponsor was laughing. You know, he's like, hey, you know, there's good news and bad news. I'm like, okay, what's the bad news? He goes, well, the bad news is it never ends. I'm like, okay, great. What's the good news? Well, the good news is bad news, but there's always something to do. And there's always somebody to do it with. And and that's why we have sponsors in Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you haven't done that yet, I really encourage you to do that. Thank you so much for having me here tonight.